whether I think it's going to go anywhere or not. There's an imagined audience, right? Mm. Uh, but I'm a member of that audience, which is like, that's also, that's, that's fantasy because I'm not actually a member of the audience. I'm me. But I'm imagining right. myself hearing it, right? And, 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 and gauging my response. Like, so I am the first mm. listener. And if I get a good line that snaps, like, I feel like I'm in the audience, you know? So, um, uh, so yeah, so there's, there's a sense in which I'm sort of role shifting as I, as I work. That's fascinating. Like, what is it? I'm just so curious. What does it feel like for you? Like when a line hits, like, how do you know when you're just like, Ooh, that's a juicy one. I laugh. They, uh, the good lines always make me laugh. Right. Um, <laughs> they, uh, they, they, they're, they're all funny to me in that sense. Even the harshest ones is I could say there's a, there's a feeling of sort of like, like a, a sadistic pleasure. So. <laughs> Welcome to Why Not Both, the podcast all about how our multiple passions shape our identity and our lives. I'm your host, Pam Schaefer, and our producer is Laura Studeris. This season, we are brought to you by Under the Radar magazine. If you like what you hear, you can head over to our Patreon to support us directly and get transcripts of all of our episodes, or you can come hang out with us on your favorite social media platforms, where we can be found under WNB the podcast. This week, we welcomed celebrated musician and author John Darnielle to our show. I hope that you enjoy our chat. Welcome to Why Not Both, where I was on time and then late because I got distracted by your art. Oh, <laughs> thank you. Oh, welcome. <laughs> um, I, I don't know if you have this problem. I am perennially late to things. And so to counteract that, the only other option is to be really early. But then sometimes I foil my own best efforts. I used to always be really early to everything. And I find that I have finally, parenthood and advancing age have finally made me a person who is uh, more often than not a couple minutes late. <laughs> I, I wish I had the rationale of like, ah, see this tiny human that's unpredictable and I had to care for them, but that tiny human is uh, my brain. The tiny human is me. <laughs> yeah, I was like, I, I'm the tiny human here. <laughs> oh my goodness. How has that been juggling tiny humans and making all the things? Oh, you know, everybody else is, is is doing it all the time. It's just it's its own thing. Uh, you know, I mean, I'm married to a, a woman who's a great mom, and so she does a lot of stuff. And then I, you know, we just, just stay busy. There's nothing, nothing better to do. I just I nodded sagely, like, ah, oh, yes, <laughs> the staying busy. No, I'm I'm glad that you mentioned ah, they have a wonderful mom that I collaborate with. I found that. In interview, people ask female artists what it's like to have kids and make art, but people don't ask that usually of male artists. And I always found that strange. I'm like, are they? Yeah, I've, are that, they not that's a, a thing a lot of people have noticed. I mean, like, I'm a pretty active dad, but I mean, it is totally the case that my wife does the lion's share of the lifting. Um, I'm the, I have the, uh, the, you know, the, I have two two jobs, but I also, you know, I, uh, I do as much as I can, you know. Yeah. I, I do a fair bit of cooking. Um, you know, I would say I empty the dishwasher and she loads it as a general rule, but I also usually have to be prompted to empty the top one because I forget to do the top <laughs> rack. So <laughs> it's it's a sneaky one. 
Yeah. Well, no, it's because I empty the bottom one first, so I won't have to be bending down for the last one, right? But then we empty oh. the bottom one, then you pull out the, the, the middle one, and uh, and uh, yeah, and then the very top one with the you know with the coffee cups and stuff tends to go missing. So. Ah, I was just like, this is the next level of dishwasher. I'm gonna I'm gonna have to check this out. I was just like, oh. Mine just has the top that has the forgotten mugs and the cutlery, but there's no middle. There's no liminal area there. There's no, there's only one. No, no, there's gotta be, I need a picture of your dishwasher. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I recently moved into a new place. I sold the place that I was living before and moved into another place in LA that belongs to one of my friends. And she actually just had a dishwasher installed. And so I'm getting kind of like, adjusted to this new dishwasher routine, which is why I'm like, ah, yes, the dishwasher routines. And it's funny that it's like, there's all these things we take for granted that just like systematically work in a specific way in our lives. And then if they change, we're just like completely thrown for a loop. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's very true. Any, any minor change in routine is, is pretty rough. Yes. Yes. I'm, I'm always reminded like humans really like homeostasis. And when that is thrown off, we're just like, excuse me, why? <laughs> what, yeah, what no, it, it, it depends on how, how married you are to routine, but and, and also it can vary from routine to routine. You know, like like uh, one of my things is like if if lunch is at noon, I mean I can have it at twelve oh five, but right. if I get a call, this was a problem in the workplace. Uh, but if I get a call at 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 twelve oh five, say hey, I can't make the the twelve lunch. My lunch has been moved to noon or to to one. I'd be so mad, right? right. Just really, really. <laughs> Like, I cannot do it. <laughs> yes, yes. That's It's like my my window. Like, for instance, that, you know, things were running 15 minutes different today. I'm like, oh, that is totally within an acceptable cushion and window. But same, if it's, I think if it goes beyond, like, 20 minutes for me, I don't know how to, like, necessarily accommodate for that time. And I don't know what else goes in it. So then it yeah. becomes this vortex of confusion until the thing actually occurs. And I'm just sitting there being yeah, like... Yeah, no, I relate to this. I, I, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, <laughs> I'm like, how do you... I guess, like, for you, like, what do you have in place to help you balance things? Like, you just put on an album. You just put out your third book. It's like, that is a certain amount of artistic output that it's like, oh, how do you manage things so you have space for that? Um, Poorly. <laughs> like, I, <laughs> no, I mean, I, I sort of... Um, I mean, I think what I do is I don't overthink it. I just try and do what's in front of me, you know? Uh, mm -hmm. Sometimes you wind up with too many things. Like the, the, the thing you want to learn how to, how to do if you, if you like to do a lot of stuff uh, is, is learn how to say no. Learn how to say no. I don't have space on my plate for that. Uh, it's good to have people on your team who'll be like, who say, hey, do you want to do this? You go, oh, yeah. And they say, well, that's the same day you're supposed to do this other thing. Uh, so right. that'll be too. <laughs> uh, it's great to have people keeping track of that. But, um, uh, but yeah, I mean, I really, I'm, I'm almost only ever focused it's not hard for me to focus uh so if i'm working on if i'm writing a, a book and an album at the same time th the book's not bleeding into my thought while i'm writing music the only thing mm -hmm. on my plate the only thing in front of me is the only thing that exists for me quite often um right. i mean it's not that's only true in a in a in a task specific way because i can have a lot of thoughts running through my head at the same time but the other my other obligations don't trouble me when i'm focusing on one of them they don't right. there's no my my focus is fairly intense when it comes to land on something um right. it's, it, but it's weirdly it's intense yet diffuse you know it's uh uh 
the same way that like if you're playing a video game that you're good at, um, when uh, if somebody comes and starts asking you questions, you can answer them and still be right. like doing this thing that, that that's demanding your hand-eye coordination and your thumbs and whatever, you know. But you can still actually answer questions, right? Right. Um, and and so you that means you're in this zone of focus where you are focused and yet available. Uh, it's kind of amazing. Um, and and yeah, so that's how is you know is like whatever's in front of me is kind of the only thing that exists in some ways, but not in other ways. That's oh my gosh, so many thoughts just sparked in my mind. Like one was I was I had a conversation with someone yesterday about like different neurotypes that like we live in a neurotypical world, but there's different neurotypes, and so it's only seen as like necessarily a disability to have a different neurotype if you're not neurotypical because of how we structure things that actually like having different neurotypes can foster different kinds of thought like that or different kinds of operation. And I was like, oh my God, that that is magical. And, and people will sometimes ask about like, especially with ADHD that I really think should be renamed quite frankly, um, that it's not necessarily a deficit of attention. It's either inconsistent attention or like that like laser attention. But when you're in that hyper-focused state, it's really magical that the thing in front of you is like, the only thing, and yes, there's other thoughts. There's almost like notifications going off in your brain, but they're on like do not disturb mode, <laughs> like, yeah. and that you can you can kind of operate in that way. I'm I personally am very similar. Where like if I'm working on a project, whatever's in front of me, I'm not troubled by the thoughts of the other things. They're still there. It's not like my mind is completely quiet in those spheres, but it's like the thing. And at least for me personally, I only really do things creatively that are so compelling that I feel like I can't like not do it. Right. And so it's like, of course, I'm going to be there. Like, it's interesting when I've heard people ask in an interview, like, oh, how do you how do you sit down and do things? And I'm just like, well, if you don't actually feel like you must do that thing that you're creating, I'm like, what are you doing? <laughs> like, oh, I don't know about that. Yourself. For me, I, 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 I like I like a task, you know, to have a task before you is rewarding, you know, um, so so it, it depends. I mean, it's like I, I, I agree you have to have some level of engagement with what you're doing, but uh uh, but, but yeah, I, I do like, I, I like a sense of obligation to some extent. Mm. Does it motivate you to have obligation to a project or a person or like, I'm curious, I'm like, what, like when you're sitting down and writing, are you like, I'm obligated to myself, I'm obligated to the work, like what does it feel like? Um, to the work, to the audience, um, to, um, I don't know what else, uh, I mean, I don't, I don't know how to answer that actually, because um, there's a there's a feeling of of like I'm always writing, imagining that somebody will hear something, right? Mm -hmm. uh, whether I think it's going to go anywhere or not, there's an imagined audience, right? Mm. Uh, but that I'm a member of that audience, which is like that's also that's that's fantasy because I'm not actually a member of the audience. I'm me, but I'm imagining right. myself hearing it, right? And 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 engaging my response, like so. I am the first mm. listener. And if I get a good line that snaps, like I feel like I'm in the audience, you know. So. Um, <gasps> Uh, so yeah, so there's, there's a sense in which I'm sort of role shifting as I, as I work. That's fascinating. Like, what is it? I'm just so curious. What does it feel like for you? Like when a line hits, like, how do you know when you're just like, Ooh, that's a juicy one. I laugh. They, uh, the good lines always make me laugh. Right. Um, <laughs> they, uh, they, they're, they're all funny to me in that sense. Even the harshest ones is I could say there's a, there's a feeling of sort of like, like a, a sadistic pleasure. <laughs> so, <laughs> Imagining you laughing at some of the lines you've written is just fabulous. Um, <laughs> like, 
I'm like, that's dark. I and always, light, I and always like around. when I wrote on the new record, on the new record, when I wrote, we may run out of bullets. We're never going to run out of hostages. Right. That's a gruesome line. Right. That's a heavy thing to say. You know? But but I laughed really hard when I got to that. I was oh, I got to call this on hostages. That's funny. Do you know? Oh, OK. I feel better about myself now because I laughed in that song about the infinite resource thing because I was thinking about like an ethical non-monogamy, the whole like love is infinite, but like time is not. And then like you did kind of a play on that, but like with hostages and bullets, I was like, oh, it's really clever. And then I was like, Pam, that's really dark. <laughs> oh, I, actually, I, I did not know that was an ethical non-monogamy thing. <laughs> Yeah, there's there's this whole thing of like, you know, technically you can date however many people you want. Like you do you live your life. But it's like love. the That resource is technically infinite. We can love all the things that we want to love. But time is not. And so that's like the whole tenet of just like, you know, you do you. But like well, time sure is you're dedicating we time are not infinite. Things. There's the dramatic irony. <laughs> <laughs> like, <laughs> exactly. That's that's what's always see you. You get the levels of humor here. That's why that line was so funny to me. <laughs> like, <laughs> that's why I was distracted before the call. Was that was the song I was listening to and just laughing about ethical non-monogamy and uh, hostage situations. <laughs> <I'm> like, <laughs> yep, I'm just like the audience is going to be like, "What? You're laughing at what, Pam?" And I'm like, "No, this made sense in my head. Trust me." Um, when you, <laughs> yeah, it's very. It's totally. It's super interesting. Actually, it's not a context I would have. I would have located myself. And that's that's what's fascinating that you said that like you like almost switch places and you become the audience. Like in imagining, like you had no idea that I would be sitting, being like, "Oh, I have some time before their call. I'm going to listen to some of the music," um, and that I would be sitting here and I'd be tickled by a line that reminded me of like technically kind of not a fallacy, but like a really funny misperception of the nature of time in regards to relationships. <laughs> like, <laughs> and that I'd be like laughing at this <laughs> in a totally different way. And it's like, that's a really strange and fun thing about putting art out is you're like, I don't know when someone's going to listen to this or what they're going to make of it. No, that's right. You have to relinquish control of that. Yeah. Yeah. It's very, it's surreal. I guess like when people do then like give you feedback like I know that you have a pretty, you have a pretty vehement and enthused fan base. That must be really interesting to hear, like what people hear in your stuff. Uh, yeah, it is. I mean, it, it can be. Uh, uh, it's funny because anybody can do any reading on anything that that seems right to them. But uh, but at the same time, not every reading is a good reading, right? Mm. So um, mm -hmm. so I, I don't think you know people will say, well, it's you know. It, I think a lot of people who live in a sort of a uh, post-critical theory uh, moment think mm -hmm. that any reading that you can establish is a good one. Well, I don't think that. I think I think some readings are supportable and some aren't. You know, um, yes. But but past that, you know, you can you can you can probably do the put in the work of making most things be about something far beyond their actual subject matter. But I don't. You know, that's not. If you think about that while you're writing, I mean, honestly, I can't even imagine putting your energy there you know it's like i don't oh when, I, when i say i'm the audience i'm also the only audience i'm not trying to think about how how people might take something i mean obviously then you listen after you have written and you go oh well, how does this sound what you yeah know, you, you, you take care not to have said something that's that, that's gonna you know distract people from the thrust you're trying to to put out there but uh right but yeah but 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 you can't i think focusing too much on on 
what people are going to make of something is, 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 is a disastrous way to write. But that's just me. I mean, there's people who live blog their, 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 the novels they're writing. I cannot for the life yeah. of me. I, I don't like to talk about what I'm writing when I'm writing it at all. But uh, except to myself. I have vivid conversations with myself. <laughs> I find, at least for me personally, it's really hard to think about an audience other than myself while I'm creating something um, because I'm always so pleasantly surprised by how things land that it's like it's almost like I have to stop myself because it'll paralyze me if I'm trying to like put myself in the point of view of like a million other people but also yeah I mean that's something listen to me, but yeah, to it's like be very cautious with is to not I mean I think we live in an age of chronic overthinking uh but uh and I think it's not I think this isn't I think it's it's because of the the media ecosystem we feed ourselves like being constantly engaged with the timeline and stuff like that mm-hmm. means that you are always always having thoughts <laughs> like lots and lots of stray <laughs> extra thoughts uh, even even whether or not your brain already works that way I think we're sort of that's where where you know that's the moment now it encourages you to not just be you know sitting with whatever's in front of you and uh uh and that can be pretty hard to 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 quell the chatter, you know, but that's where I'm lucky that like when I do get in the zone of focus, I'm talking about any chatter that floats in is like, it's on a frequency that I don't have to attend to. It's like, it's there, Mm. it's noise, but I don't have to actually pay it any mind, you know? That makes sense. That's, that was what I was curious about when you're working on multiple things in a way, like one, how to like allocate your time, but also how to like, I mean, allocate your time in that way and attention in that way, where there's so many things that are drawing our attention. Like, particularly, like, I was thinking even about, like, notifications in my brain. That it's, like, everything pops up, but then everything pops up digitally as well. It's, like, there's... <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's the thing, is, like, I did some writing the last couple books on a manual typewriter uh, because it's not healthy to be staring at screens as much as we do. It's just bad. Um, yeah. And, uh, and, yeah, but the other thing is, like, when I'm writing my book, uh, I have an office that I write in uh, that doesn't have internet access now my phone can get online so i can still mm-hmm. look things up if i need to and people can get a hold of me but the laptop that i'm writing on isn't online now i could right. tether it to my phone if i want to be a total scoundrel right yeah but, but i mean <laughs> taking that extra step i mean that means you have a problem you know if you if you can't yes. if you're there to write a book and you're like oh i got to look up this thing on wikipedia you know you're not going to do that you know you're going to do other stuff so so right. I so I stay offline when I'm writing my book. I like I, I go someplace. And my 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 previous office before that also didn't have internet, and I didn't want it because <laughs> like right. But uh, I mean, every there comes a time daily when you're working on your book where you're like, okay, well now if I could get online, I could get through this next bit of research a lot quicker. Well, who gives a shit about quicker? You know, quicker is is overvalued. And so so uh, so yeah, so I'll get it done using my phone, which is just irritating enough to not hang out looking at the, at the timeline and I'll go back to my work. Um, yes. Songs are different. They happen so fast that, that, that I don't, doesn't matter where I am. Wow. Yeah. That, that was also what I was curious about. Cause I, I love that you said that it's like, you basically create just enough friction that it's unpleasant to try and access the internet in that way. Like I find at least. Well, I mean, yes, me. the thing is like, so, so this is an interesting shtick of mine that, um, you know, everything in, consumer society for as long as I've been alive has been focused on convenience, right? And mm-hmm. even the dead Kennedys had a record called give me convenience or give me death. Right. So, uh, <laughs> and they were, they were laughing at this too. Is like, what's convenient isn't necessarily the best option in most things. Now it's unquestionably the case that like, you know, 
map services on your phone, ah, that's great. It's amazing. You cannot imagine what touring was like before that existed. You cannot imagine it, right? Sounds like uh, a mess of Thomas guides. It was well. It was, and you would you would get you would have your Thomas guide, and then when finally MapQuest was there, but we didn't have devices, you would go to MapQuest. I need for your map. You would plot out your routes between the places and print them out and take them with you, and that was a massive innovation. Like now, you had an actual point-to-point map from where you were going that morning to where you're going that evening. It was a miracle when that happened. Yes. It was an absolute miracle. The earlier way. I mean, it had some charm, you know, it had the charm of the unknown, but it also, <laughs> after every show, you were kind of lost, right? And it was like, oh, people God. went up all kinds of weird situations, and it was very good that we had this. So that convenience is a real good convenience, but the convenience of always being able to access the internet, sometimes it's good, and sometimes it's not. It's certainly not good for focused work, Um you know, it's it's not good if if the only thing you're getting from the internet is sort of the the dopamine that you get from the hit <laughs> of, yep. of, of the timeline, and that's where we're. Uh, did you read Pat- Patricia Lockwood's last book? No, please tell me about you it. You should. Um, she uh, she calls the the being online the portal, right? And uh, and it's a it's it's about. I mean, it's it's a uh, sort of a Romana Clef about her because she went very viral with a poem, uh, and uh, and experienced the pleasures of virality and of being good at Twitter, you know, mm-hmm. uh, and also had some life experiences that, that pointed out like the, the major shortcomings of, of spending too much of your time in that space, you know, of, mm-hmm. of coming to, of your identity, having to rely on that space. But also she's smart enough to know that like, you can't just sort of make a, some blanket statement like this is good or this is bad, you know, uh, right. it's, it's there, you know, you have to sort of uh, navigate it. Uh, it's a great book. I'm gonna. It's so funny because like my phone is on do not disturb and is next to me and is turned over so that I don't see notifications. And the computer that I'm recording on is specifically my studio computer. Like I have not opened iMessage on this computer. <laughs> like right. I do have internet because I'm recording. Right. But it's so funny because I was just like, oh, I'll go and bookmark that. And then I was like, wait, I don't even want to touch my phone. There's a reason why well, no, I get out it on notepad. do not disturb. A, it's called no one is it's called no one is talking about this her book. Uh, it, it's very good. No one is talking about this. Okay, now I'm just like, "Oh god, where did I put paper?" You, you will uh, I guarantee, I pretty much guarantee that you will love it. So I I just stared at my piano because that's actually where three of my notebooks are and I'm like, "Arm is my headphone cable long enough to reach there right now?" <laughs> like, <laughs> it's so funny. I literally I was like, "I want to reach for my notebook and I also there's like a 5% chance I will just completely knock over all of my audio gear (laughs) (laughs) and sitting here I'm like do I take the chance um because I I have notebooks for multiple things and then I will repeatedly lose those notebooks in my own home um and in bags but they do all have specific purposes (laughs) and I was I was like you know I might be willing to sacrifice one of the lyric notebook pages to write down this suggestion and then tear it out (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and put it, put it in my other notebook <laughs> that's my running tally of things I need to remember notebook that I forget recently. I think I have two or three of those now. Um, the only things I tend not to lose are my whiteboard because it's stuck to my refrigerator. Can't lose my refrigerator. Right. Um, and my phone, which also like all of those notes then sync to my iPad. So like chances are good that one of those devices will be proximal. <laughs> what notebook do you use in your phone? I just use the notes app, but everything backs up to the cloud. And then I do have, I actually really like um, 
I just sounded like an advert, but I'm not an advert. I really like the app Notion because it's kind of like Google Drive, but slightly better. And you can collaborate on boards with people, but it's not as like overwhelming visually as like Trello or there's a few other apps that like, I guess, really work well for some people's brains. But for mine, it just looks like a giant like mosaic of post-it notes. And my brain just goes, oh, wow, there's sure a lot of things there. Yeah, I, I ask because I use, a program <laughs> called, I use a program called Bear, which I'm not shilling for. They don't give me any money, but it's a very good notes program. Uh, it's like it's got a premium and a free, but uh, but it's 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 uh, I, <laughs> I think it's, I don't know you well, but I think I know you well enough after this conversation so far that there's a feature in Bear that I think is going to change your life, right? Excellent. Uh, and that is, I wish I could I wish I could share a screen with you right now, but I can't. Um, uh, let me open Bear here. So I'm opening this app called Bear. Uh, I said I'm opening it, phone. Um, <laughs> Phone's like, are you? Is that what you're doing? Yeah, no. It, 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 so let me see if I can find something that's that's old enough to... Um, uh, okay, yeah. So I use it mainly for creative stuff, but my, my son goes to a school... Um, you know, no, actually, uh, let me find another one. Um... Let's see here. Let me see here. Uh, oh. Oh? Yes, here we are. So the new book. Uh, have, have you read the, the new book? I have Devil not House read Devil by, House the... by John Darnell. <laughs> All right. So the middle of Devil House. No, it's fine. The, uh, the, the, the middle of Devil House, the middle section, uh, is uh, the history of a probably mythical king named Gorbonian. <gasps> Gorbonian I found referenced in... Um, uh, Mort d'Artur uh, uh, by Sir Thomas Mallory, and I got interested in in these old uh, or no, it was Mort d'Artur. I think it was. Um, I got interested. No, no, it was in uh, Geoffrey of Monmouth in the Lives of the Kings of Britain. Um, mm. So, uh, so, so I read this. I got interested in these early kings for whom no, who probably didn't exist, but who are in Mallory, and I got interested in, in this guy Gorbonian, who mm -hmm. was said to have restored the altars of the pagans. Right. Whoa. I was interested by this. Yes. Uh, so so I went off on that and that became part of the book. I knew there was gonna be a section involving the actual King Gorbonian, right? And then I, I got the idea to set that section off in a different font and have it in a different language, so on and so forth. Ooh. So here in Bear, I find the note from four years ago where I got the idea to put that in a different font. Right. <gasps> is make Gorbonian section an illuminated manuscript in calligraphy. How did I find that note just now, you ask? Because then it says hashtag Gorbonian, and <gasps> I can search within this notes app for anything that I hashtagged if I just can imagine what the hashtag might have been, right? Ooh. So I can hashtag all my notes, and then as many times as I want, I can get 17 different hashtags in case I'm going to forget which one I was using, right? And in that way... I can, the, my whole notes archive is intensely searchable forever, right? Uh, so that's pretty, for somebody whose notes are going to be fairly, to use a word that's overused, are random, right? That's a pretty amazing fun bit of functionality there. <laughs> I could, oh my like, God, does it, does it have a glossary of the hashtags, like just in case? No, uh, but no, you have, it, it does not. You would have to, you would have to remember them. Um, <gasps> I think, although I'm also not that, oh no, it totally does. Oh wow, this is wild. Uh, so yeah, so if I go to a, a big thing on the, there's a big uh, drop-down column on the upper left in <gasps> notes, and then all the hashtags are there, so we can just scroll yes. through them. Yeah, it's pretty wild. And oh then they my nest. God. Uh, if there's more than one under a given hashtag, they nest uh, and show you the various uh, things. It's a pretty, 
again, they're not paying me anything, but Bear is a pretty amazing app. So. Oh my God. I will, I will look into that because yeah, like my partner and I use Notion because he and I have similar, <laughs> similar neurotypes. Um, there are certain strengths that I have that he doesn't and vice versa. Uh, but like we remind each other to do things like eat regularly um, or, you know, <laughs> things like that. <laughs> and so we're always looking for like tools to uh, wrangle our often very creative and yet sometimes unruly minds. Um, so that sounds wonderful. Cause Sorry about all I... the bloops. My texts are on and I don't know how to, I can't quiet them without quieting <laughs> you. <laughs> I love the text bloopy sound. It's actually very comforting. Um, but uh, <laughs> it's like, I'm like, oh, I know that noise. <laughs> um, but yeah, like it's a mixture of like Notion. And then there's actually a, it's like, I don't remember the name of the app that he uses for photo memories, but it like archives all of the things that he's like posted or taken photos of. And so sometimes he'll just look at, oh, I wish I remembered the name of this app. It's a journaling app. I think it's maybe called like On This Day. It, it has like a, evocative name of exactly what it does um yeah those apps like, are interesting to me i use one myself i've never been a journal keeper and there's something about the impersonality of it that makes it easier if 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 when you write in a journal you always feel like a pretentious asshole <laughs> <You know? laughs> like, why should anyone give a shit about any of this you know <laughs> what am i doing this for you know well, it's impersonal helps, right? It's like then you're not then you're not sitting there going, oh, hey, listen to what I did today. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah, there is a bit of that. Like, uh, I I'm gonna just make a verb like audienceifying. Um, I was like, yes. maybe it's a gerund, maybe it's a well, verb. I think, Who will I think know? most people like to think of, about, and it's what we were talking about earlier. But it's like, I don't I don't want when I'm writing anything to imagine that. I have any right to be heard <laughs> or any or any uh, expectation of an audience, right? So when I suppose one, I think it's why it winds up being me is like I don't to be imagining that that anyone ought to pay attention strikes me as as an arrogance that I don't wish to indulge. You know, so. <laughs> ah, that's so fascinating to think about. I was I was thinking about when you said about like feeling like a pretentious asshole when when writing a journal, and I was thinking about I looked over at uh, the bookshelf I have in here. And one of the shelves is just entirely full of Anais Nin's diaries and letters and, and erotica and basically all things Anais Nin um, because I wrote my thesis on her in college because why not? Um, oh, no kidding. Yeah. And, and then I, since I really know how to make popular things, I also, in my very early 20s, wrote a concept album based on her diaries while writing my thesis. Um, because and, you know, a grown-up loaned me a copy of Little Birds when I was like 12. And <laughs> I know that in today's world that would be looked down upon, but but this was uh, a member of a married couple who like knew that I liked weird books, and oh to this God. day I'm grateful, grateful that she did. You know, there was never never anything untoward from them toward me. It was just, oh yeah, you might like that. I said, okay, cool, thanks. <laughs> oh my God, that's amazing. Like yeah, that. And just, the thing is that connect more. My stepfather knew who Anais Nin was. He said, you read Anais Nin? Oh wow, you know her, her diaries. Like he he filled me in on who her circle was and everything you know it's like yeah. it was yeah <laughs> oh I, my god suspect, that makes me so happy those people would be like no no i'm not gonna loan you this book Joe. you can look at <laughs> well that was it's 
It's funny that you say that. Like, my parents had a policy with me that, like, even as a kid, I could read, watch, listen to whatever it was I wanted, but it was my responsibility to sort out, like, what it was or what it was about. Like, they were, they were like, we're not here for your questions of, like, why. They're like, go do your research. Figure it out. Like, Oh, this is funny. It's like one of the things my stepfather, my stepfather obviously, to, you know, some choices that he made are what define him in my world, but he was also very intelligent uh, and was very eager to talk about the stuff he knew about, which made you know him a great source for like contextualizing stuff. Somewhat, he also would tend to you know exaggerate how much he actually knew about this or that. He didn't want to be caught short on anything, but uh, oh. but uh, but he did. But he had a pretty you know a pretty broad base of knowledge about about stuff and and could could put things in good context. See, the context is sometimes vital like I because uh, I remember I discovered Anais Nin and I thought of her because she was very clearly in some ways writing for herself but also crafting a persona for herself through her writing and writing with the intent of people reading her diaries which is fascinating yeah um, I can't imagine <laughs> like I, that was I mean I was like you're you're here for the nerdiness uh that was what I wrote about like in my in my fevered youth as a very popular college student um, was about yeah. Like, you know, crafting... it's funny. if she wasn't intended for people to read them, then that's cool. Like generally speaking, I have a if if the author didn't mean for other people to read it, then I don't want to read it. You know, I, yeah. I feel weird about. It. But then a book has come along recently to challenge uh, my thoughts on this. Is the correspondence between Paul Salon and 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 a friend? You know about this? No, I was like, um, oh my god, tell me more. Um, do you know who Paul Ceylon is? No. Now, by the way, I did. I, I, I cheated and opened my phone to put this on my list. Keep talking. Paul Ceylon is a poet of uh, incredible power, a uh, German poet. Uh, you've probably read his uh, uh, poem about the black milk. It's kind of uh, everybody's read this one. Um, but uh, but there are ages of correspondence between him and, and Ingeborg Bachmann between 1948 and 61. I don't generally read people's letters because my assumption is they didn't expect for other people to read them. And I like the concept of privacy a lot <laughs> and right. i think it survives the grave it's like if if you know one of the things that faces me is like i have to destroy anything i don't want people to read before i die or they will read it and say well what does he care he's dead you know but uh but i don't want people to read the stuff that i don't choose to publish i don't want them to see it you know uh, right. i don't think it's good and i think i have the right to make that choice um so uh so yes yeah, so like i don't want to read anybody's posthumous work that they didn't think was ready for press i'm not interested right they didn't, for me that's an invasion of their privacy so uh, but 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 this is the book that has challenged. It's like yeah, but it's Paul Salon. Oh my god, I hadn't even thought about that because in a way I haven't I'm read kind the book. Like, I'm conflicted about it. So. Oh my gosh, yeah. Like I just looked over because also on that shelf is like my journals and like I do have like lyric notebooks and I sometimes even feel bashful like if someone sits down at my piano and like one of my lyric notebooks is open I feel like I, I feel like someone just like saw like the drawer next to my bed and I'm like, <gasps> like oh, yeah, no, I don't want people to see work in progress and stuff it's, it's, not, it's yeah. not fun for me yeah and I'm just like oh my god like that freaks me out um and I hadn't even thought about that because on one hand I'm like okay like if I'm not here eh, shrug I'm just like my energy is probably elsewhere doing other energy matter conversion things um but at the same time I'm like okay if you live on through your memories like people's memories of you and your work and all these things it's like 
oh, in some ways you can't necessarily control the narrative like we were talking about. You never know when people are going to encounter your art. But also it's like, oh, you can at least choose what to put in the narrative. <laughs> like, <laughs> um, you can be like, can we omit that? <laughs> like, yeah. yeah there's, well, the thing is, that's one of my... Uh, I'm not the kind of person who thinks much before he speaks. You know, I just, I just speak and I, what comes out comes out. And, uh, and it's one of those things where if you're being interviewed, you know, you don't want your mind to just be arranging every old place. You hope somebody will curate what you say. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's, it can be something of a challenge because I'm not, I, I don't sit and think before I, uh, before I, before I speak. I just, I just don't know. <laughs> I mean, so the good news is, um, I also am the editor of the podcast. The bad news is, uh, I'm also the host. So I'm just like, <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, if you were looking for someone to control the topics of conversation, I was like, oh, oh dear, I'm so sorry. But also, I have an edit button, <laughs> which is so like powerful because I, much like you, uh, often I have to think about thinking before I speak. Um, otherwise, my mouth will get ahead of me. I want to let it go to voicemail. I don't want to decline it. <laughs> Does decline send a voicemail? No. Um, is it a regular call or a FaceTime? I'm never going to know who it was. It's done. So, uh, uh, it's so a phone funny. call. It's a, so, uh, that's, there was, what horror movie was I watching where, where like the threatening phone call had that default ringtone? <laughs> so, oh no. So it really, I can't remember which one it was. It was like at a big horror festival, but like, but by the end of the movie, this movie has rewired your brain to how you think about that sound. It's like, Oh, yes. that's the killer. <laughs> <laughs> That's that's like I was talking to someone about the dangers of assigning a specific ringtone to someone because then like say you have positive associations with that person if things go sour what they were saying is like then if you hear that ringtone like in public you're just going to cringe. <laughs> right. Like... Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um... I liked I had back in the days of assigning uh cuz I mean I don't I haven't assigned a ringtone forever it's like it's whatever is on the phone but but it used to be, you know, pre-iPhone no, I guess it was early iPhone. Uh, getting little snippets of a song, you know? Yeah. And, and, oh, you could buy them as ringtones off iTunes. That's right. You could spend yeah. like a buck. Uh, and I had a, a Slipknot song for my <laughs> For anything business related. I had the song that, that goes, stick my fingers into my eyes. <laughs> it's really good. I had, I had for everybody uh, the harp intro from the Bjork song, Pagan Poetry. Oh, yeah. So like my phone would just be sitting there like playing ethereal harp noises because I'm always like just alarmed when someone calls me in general. Um, and so that would definitely help <laughs> where it's like at the very least, I was just like, wow, I'm sure startled, but also pleased. <laughs> like... Also for a while, I think you'll like this if that's your, your vibe. I don't know where I picked it up from, uh, but I had sort of a performative thing I would do whenever I would hear the phone ring. That I would say out loud, who has called me? <laughs> who has called me? <laughs> oh my God. That's, that makes me so happy. I just look at it and go, ah, as though I'm surprised that a thing that is a telephone is in fact doing things that telephones do. Well, I mean, <laughs> now it's like, I think plenty of people who are very, you know, sort of type A folks who are extraordinarily busy and, 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 you know, uh, very intense types, I think when they hear the phone ring, the first thing in their mind is like, is this something that could be done with a text or an email? 
right? It's like, why, why are you calling me? What, what, yeah. what, what can you do on the phone that we couldn't do quicker some other way? I think a lot of those folks think like that now. My assumption is either like, are you on fire? Question mark. Um, did you butt dial me? <laughs> like, yeah, right. It's like we now have this assumption if the phone rings, that it's got to be some kind of emergency, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Because there's, there's like a short list of people that like I would expect to call me on the phone, like for non on fire butt dial reasons. Um, and outside that list, I'm always like, Whoa. Um, yeah. And like I was thinking about that, that immediacy that it also does relate to like saying exactly what's on your mind that in some ways I'm almost just like people aren't entitled to like what's exactly on my mind in that moment. And also sometimes I'm like, wait, you broke my train of what's exactly on my mind. Like by yeah, that's calling interesting, me. Right? That's, uh, <laughs> that is interesting because when you're on the phone, if somebody asks you a question, you don't have a response, then they hear that you hesitate. Whereas if you don't answer a text right away, they just write a bunch of different stories about why you didn't. Right. Yes. Some of them might be accurate, some of them not. But in a conversation, you can't fake that. Right. You can't. You you paused. You waited. I was there yeah. when it happened. Right. And so yeah. whereas you can totally who who there's not a living person with a phone who hasn't lied about why they just texted 20 minutes after they got the last text. Right. Say, <laughs> oh, sorry. I was cooking something. No, you weren't. You were pooping or something. <laughs> yeah, <exactly. laughs> Oh my God! Yeah, I even like right when the interview you started. Sex. You just don't want to exactly. say it because you don't want to. You don't want to bring up that conversation. So you just said you, you were at lunch. You weren't having lunch. You were naked. <laughs> you were having spicy lunch. <laughs> like, <laughs> you were reading a nice nin. Oh my God! Yeah, even yeah, like. When, that would be great. Oh, I'm sorry, I didn't answer right away. I was cooking. Oh, really? What were you cooking? But <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. I mean, stove, stove top or in the oven? What? Right, right. Can you give me the recipe, but without the like biography beforehand? I do. That is one internet trend I do not understand. <laughs> like, oh, it's just SEO. It's just, uh, it's just getting you to stay on the page longer. It's uh, it's, oh. it's, it's like everything else on the internet. Terrible, right? It's it's the same. The same reason why, like, it's the same. It was, it's in the same space as why uh, everything is video now and in the same space as why when you go to Amazon to find something, it's all third-party sellers, right? It's, uh, it's right. in the same sort because it makes more money for somebody somewhere. But the recipe thing, you can game that, uh, but it's very frustrating if you like to cook. It's like, I don't care about anything but the recipe. But if you have a small paragraph, I'm cool. Like all my cookbooks, I do read the narrative and it's a better yeah. cookbook and it has fun stories, right? But your yeah. fun story without an editor on your recipe blog of four pages of your thoughts are not entertaining in any way when I'm looking for the recipe online. So. No. And, and like you had said about context, it's like if I have invested in, say, a cookbook, I might be invested in the person that wrote the cookbook or the narrative of that particular cuisine or whatever it is. It's like I've already kind of bought into part of it. Whereas if I'm Googling egg frittatas in muffin tin, it's just exactly. because I want to make an egg frittata in a muffin tin. <laughs> like, <laughs> nothing. Yeah, else. it might have to do with that. The whole ecosystem and stuff, I don't. Just think for a guy who has been continuously online since 1995, there's a lot I don't actually understand about the internet. <laughs> it's like I don't think I know what most. 
I don't think I know what most people's stake in being there is, and, and, I, and I have some very naive assumptions about what people are doing there. You know, it's like, yo, you're there to look for information, have fun. Nah, oh <laughs> generally God. not true, I think. Have you, um, have you read anything by Jaron Lanier? No. <gasps> um, so he, he was a very early person making the internet and also virtual reality, and he has a lot of thoughts about uh, technology. Like, I I don't know what his technical job title is. I guess one might call him a futurist. Um, I actually really, really want to interview him, and I'm trying to find him because he created online and is not online, which I find fascinating. So, Jaron Lanier, if you are out there, I want to interview you. Um, but he has a lot of cool <laughs> thoughts <laughs> like, <laughs> on the nature of technology and on, like, the human interactions with technology. Um, yeah. And I find it fascinating. He's entirely awesome. Yeah. He, he actually wrote a book about like why one should not have social media, um, which is fascinating for someone who is one of like the pioneers of onlineness. Um, How do I spell his name? Uh, J-A-R-O-N-L-A-N-I-E-R. Got him. I feel like especially with it's the funny, text though, message I'm sound, I summoned him. Name? Oh yeah, I'll go look him up. Yeah. But the thing is, like, no, you're you're saying what? What? I was saying I should go look him up, and it's gonna be. Does he write nonfiction? Then I'm not gonna be there. I'm just not. <laughs> I only read. I only read stories. I buy nonfiction books in the handfuls, and once in a great while, I will read one. But I, I don't read memoirs. I don't. <laughs> I just. It, there will always be a novel in front of it. Oh, that's fascinating. I like to read both at the same time. Like that was it was interesting that you said like, oh, like basically, did you read your latest book? And the thing is, your latest book is on my list. It's just that I'm always reading fiction and nonfiction at the same time. And so it's like I have yeah. to finish one in that like genre area before I move on to the next one. Like I don't want to read multiple fiction works at the same time, much like I don't usually want to read. Well, occasionally I'll read multiple nonfiction, but rarely. It's like I want to have them in tandem. <laughs> yeah. And so yeah. yours is on the list because I just finished uh, Animal by Lisa Taddeo, which is brutal, um, deeply enjoyable in a very brutal way. Um, and I just finished Cultish by Amanda Morel, I think is her name. Yeah, I've been seeing that one around. Yeah. I'm reading, I'm reading James Baldwin. I'm the, he's, he's incredible, obviously. A classic, yes. I was just like... What is next on my list? Because I was just like, I feel like, oh, yeah, I did start another nonfiction. I broke my rule and was reading multiple nonfiction, telling on myself. That's like the dumbest infraction ever. Like, who's like, oh, what, what are the book police going to come for me? <laughs> like, <laughs> I did start reading Becoming Dangerous, which is a whole bunch of essays about people's uh, discovery of witchcraft. Oh, interesting. Yeah. I, I saw Haxon recently again. If you've never seen Haxon, that's a fun watch. I was like, tell me more. It's a silent movie from. Uh, uh, it's a silent movie uh, about the history of witchcraft, uh, from uh, it's legendary. Is it Swedish? I think it's Swedish, but it might be Danish. Um, uh, Nineteen twenty-two silent horror essay film written and directed by Benjamin Christensen. That sounds Danish, but uh, no, it's Swedish, uh, and it's it's a it's a gorgeous silent movie. You have seen images from it and uh and some of them and bits of it uh used as gifts uh the the the, the oh. sort of very famous images um and it has this thesis 
uh, that it comes to at the end that like all cases of witchcraft were undiagnosed mental illness, which I don't think are, is true. But it, but it, it was a pretty bold case to be making in 1922. Whoa. Uh, that, uh, and so, uh, yeah, it's, it's, and it, it's just a beautiful movie, though, in terms of the, uh, uh, you know, and it's a very anti-ecclesiastical movie, very anti-Roman yeah. uh, Catholic Church not an unusual position for Swedes to take, obviously, right. but uh, uh, but uh, you know, not not that not that Sweden is like unilaterally you know, anti-Catholic, but it's a it's a Protestant country. Um, so, uh, but it's really it's it, it's a you know it's an important movie in the history of silent movie, uh, silent film, uh, and uh, and yeah, it's uh, it's worth seeing. And visually, visually, it's just amazing. Uh, you could you could watch it and, and not not read the subtitles and just put some techno on underneath it. It'll be incredible. right. Oh my God. Okay. I just did a Google because at first I was like, put it in the chat. Then I was like, how does the chat work on Riverside audio? And then I was like, maybe I should have figured this out like beforehand. <laughs> like, <laughs> um, oh my God. That looks, Oh, that looks amazing. I'm really excited yes, to watch this. Yes, uh, received some positive reception in Denmark and Sweden. Censors in Germany, France, the U.S. objected to what were considered at the time graphic depictions of torture, nudity, and sexual perversion, as well as anti-clericalism. <gasps> I was just like, this sounds right up my alley. Oh, that's right. That's right. And then in the late 60s, they had William Burroughs um, uh, do an, an English-language narration <gasps> over it. Uh, it's, I've, I've never seen that version. Um, but uh, but yeah, it's, it's, had, it's had a long history. If you... If you just, instead of searching on Google, if you go to the Google image search and search the same title, you'll see a lot of the famous images that you have seen before, for sure. Oh, my God. And that's, okay, that's fascinating. I was just talking with, okay, <laughs> seven thoughts occurred in my head, and then they crashed <laughs> in a nonsensical half <laughs> sentence. Um, I was talking with a friend last night over dinner about how I was like, well, because he was asking me actually about like witchcraft and things like that because like I I joke that I'm like a space witch because that's what a blogger called me back in the day in regards to my music and I was like oh my music does sound kind of like a witch from space thanks for that um but we were talking about like witchcraft in general and I was like well I feel like a lot of magic one I think that there's a lot of things that will probably at some point be explained by things that we don't necessarily understand right now which is usually how science works but also that I was like, it's kind of like spicy psychology. <laughs> like, <laughs> I was like, you know, I have a ton of crystals. Why? They're very pretty. I like pretty shiny things. Like I'm basically a magpie. But also, looking at these crystals, I'll sometimes then think about how pretty they are and the colors of them and maybe why I am engaging with this crystal and maybe what it is that's on my mind and maybe what it is I'd like to do. It's like, it's like pretty little shiny talismans. And it's like when I light candles and think of an intention, it's literally me putting something in my mind that is more likely going to make me take action upon those things or like see those things around me. It's just calling something to my attention. So is it like, Oh yeah, setting an intention is. I'm also a fellow. I, I just call them rocks, but I have tons of them, uh, uh, like in my pocket at all times. Right now, I have a big slab of turquoise, yeah. and I have Caribbean calcite. If you Ooh. haven't seen Caribbean calcite, it's not actually Caribbean, but it looks like the Caribbean Sea, so they call it that. And then I have my um, my reliable, my favorite, I think, unakite uh, yes. from Montana, which is really. Good. Uh, I have a great piece of unakite, but I don't, I don't put them on my chakras. Right. Right. Yeah. That's <laughs> the thing is, I'm not like I'm. Uh, which reality star was it where there's like the the picture of him like holding it to like his third eye i was like i'm not jamming out like that i'm not in that deep um 
but like but I'll tell you what, if I have if my head hurts or I'm really stressed, I will take one and put it on my forehead because it will cool the skin on my forehead and that feels good. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Deeply valid. Yeah, it's like I that's how I conceptualize it. And then when it comes to things like we were talking about like intuition and things like that, that like I was saying, I was just like, I feel like a lot of like you know, like the clair senses and things like that, just describe a lot of stuff that happens with like neurodivergence and different neurotypes, where it's like if you're putting together different sensory and extrasensory information and collating it really quickly, that's something that certain neurotypes like just thrive at. Also, in some parts, sometimes it's a trauma response. <laughs> like it's like it's a whole mixed bag of things. But some of the things that we perceive as necessarily being like magical and like clairsentience and things like that, I was like, I do feel like that just speaks to different different ways that people process the information from the world and that it looks mystical if that's not how you process information. Yeah, that it could be. I mean, uh, but there's also when it feels mystical to the person themselves. Uh, I don't know. I never want to entirely discount mysticism. <laughs> I like to leave, leave a little room for the mystical. As, as, as someone who went to a workshop, was it, how does time work? I was like, it wasn't last weekend. Was it last weekend? I went to a workshop called Performance Magic. It was really interesting. It was like speaking of the mystical that like I'm I'm all about like testing the limits of like where where does my woo limit lie? Um right. and Oh yeah, I know that's that's a good question. <laughs> like, <laughs> it was fascinating though cuz a lot of it centered around um like the physical body, but then the imagined body. And so it was kind of like I think kind of the point of the class was to learn to do more things with your imagined body or your imagined energy. Um, and there was this exercise where it's like we were sitting on the floor and then it's like get on your hands and knees, like push back kind of into like downward dog and then kind of like push yourself up to standing. And so relatively, you know, simple mechanics, but it was going through those steps, but then it was sitting still and in your mind's eye, like actually recreating those movements but in your mind's eye, not in your body and like feeling what that feels like in your body, but also mentally when you're recreating a movement, but you're not actually moving your physical self. And I really like they're definitely like there is a woo aspect to that where I'm just like, oh, that's a really fascinating delineation of this is the body that I'm in. This is like, you know, meat suit controlled by electricity. But also that electricity can do other things that I don't quite understand. Like, I don't understand why if I am thinking in my mind's eye about standing up, that there's something in my body that actually feels like I'm standing up, despite the fact that I actually know I'm sitting down. Um, well, now, so that's a question about how the brain works. And that's like, and it's sort of the brain is, is the, not the, not the final frontier, but, uh, but like understanding how, how a thought happens. Like we know we know a, a fair bit about, I mean, it's all electricity, right? But, uh, but, but yeah, but that's still, that, that, that's still the wild west almost. Yeah. It's like, it, it, like describing how, you know, how, well, the, the phrase, how thought becomes expression, right? Uh, is, uh, is, it's quite wild. Yeah. <laughs> it's like when you think about how much seems to be held and what those pathways are. And I think the computer model is wrong. I think that's what I'm hearing lately is that like, when you try to think of it as the way that a computer goes and locates memories, it's different. It's actually, it's considerably more, uh, the, the, the reality of what's going on uh, isn't working like an index, right? right? But, but, it, but it's more like, it's actually more, I, I feel like, I feel I heard something about that, but I, but I don't know enough about it to actually be stated. Hmm. 
Yeah, there was a book um, that my partner just sent me about like memory itself, about like improving memory and about all the things that actually are memory that we don't usually perceive as memory. Um, and what struck me in that is like, you know, kind of improving your automatic like working memory to like do tasks more efficiently, but even memory things like remembering people's names um, that it's like, yet again, it goes back to context where it's like we're even talking about like how we save people in our phones that I usually have like people's names and then the person that I met them through or where I met them. Or if they're a musician, I have like the instrument that they play. And if that has an emoji, that's definitely going in there. And so like people then ascend contact wise in my phone once I have more context. Like if you have a last name in my phone, that means that I know you really well. Yeah, I don't know if I do that. I'm checking now. Um, no, I'm pretty. I'm, I'm pretty trad. Uh, <laughs> a fair number of first names that I don't recognize anymore. Everything's duplicate. I don't know why. Um, oh no! I'll never know why. Uh, yeah, every absolutely everything is duplicate. If I find one that's not, it's gonna freak me out at this point. Uh, I mean, that goes back to what we were talking about, about like, uh, this is faster or is it like, did that actually make it better? <laughs> like... When am I ever going to scroll through my contacts? I'm not doing that. I'm just looking for somebody's name. So it could be in there 10,000 times. And the only difference it would make to me is the amount of memory I'm carrying around. It's like, I'm not normally going to see this. So, yeah. Oh, if you tap on like the contact name in an iPhone, like at least on my partners, it would pull up like the messages that he had like with that person. And so even if you don't remember what you last talked about, your phone does. Let's see here. I'm not seeing that. You had oh, would to, you mean I, if, I, if I message them? Yeah. If you tap on the little message thing, it'll automatically open whatever conversation you were having with them. And so you don't even have to like, Oh yeah, I knew into that. It, yeah, but yeah. it's like, yeah. And so like we were discovering, cause we were both just curious. Like we were discovering like all these conversations that it's like, and I, it was a surreal feeling that I was just like, obviously, I'm the one that had these conversations. I was there, but I couldn't call them to my conscious memory. <laughs> like, I was like, oh, my God, this is fascinating and strange that there's these like fragments of ourselves that are just like floating around places. <laughs> yeah, that is. Yeah, that's uh, speaking of diaries and stuff. There's little traces of you that just be there in the ether forever. Yeah, yeah. I think we have overlapping friends, which probably makes sense of why, like, we're like, oh, my God, here's this book you should read. Um, oh, I you've heard like, long. I have no friends at all. I, I don't. Uh, <laughs> You're like, yeah, I, I don't, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not into that whole scene of having friends. I'm not, <laughs> I'm, not into, I'm not into friends. I'm not into people. Oh, my God. I freak someone out. at. Uh, I went it's to, kind of true. I, I love I do, in fact, love my friends, but 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 I don't. <laughs> I don't hang. I don't. <laughs> to all of John's friends. <laughs> yeah, I, I love you all, and I'm busy. <laughs> yep. yep. Like, you know all the Night Vale people. Like, you know my friend Mara and Eliza. And I was just like, oh, this probably explains why we, we had this conversation. That I was like, oh, I feel like I just, like, know you, and you're, like, friends with my people. And I was just like, wait. I think it's I do know those people. people. I, I have met them through Joseph, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I was just like, okay, my brain just made that connection, and it's funny that I did not make that connection before. <laughs> like, <laughs> that 
but it took an hour and talking about phone contacts for me to be like, wait a second. <laughs> like, yeah, it um, is always that can be a very, a very uh, unmooring moment, you know, when you when you have been talking to somebody and you realize you, you have a contact. Uh, uh, I had this happen with uh, somebody sent me a high school yearbook picture of myself. And, oh, my uh, God. Where'd you get this? Oh, I just I just saw so and so. I was like, Oh my God, this person I haven't seen in thirty years, and who just stopped by your house. And so <gasps> that oh my God. Well, and when we were talking about socials, it struck me. It was so funny. Like my my best friend from high school. Like she is technically on social media, but like she mainly just lurks and occasionally likes something. Um, but if you don't interact with her in real life, like you wouldn't know anything about her life, um, which is great i was just like i respect that like for instance like i don't post about like my personal life online like i will reference my partner like i just did in conversation that's public but it's like i don't i don't usually talk about like that much because also the one time i did it was very interesting i had a partner at one time who was very into posting on socials but then people started engaging almost like parasocially with us and engaging with like an idea of our relationship that, and then I huh. found myself having to engage with people's idea of the perception of my relationship. And I was like, oh, this is weird. Yeah, I mean, I think a phrase that would do well to re-enter the, <laughs> the general usage is, I don't know you like that. <laughs> That's a good <laughs> phrase. <laughs> yes, yes. And like... And, and so, like, that experience and then witnessing, like, like I said, like, my, my best friend of so many years um like it inspired me to be more private because it was so funny we were out and about and it was when her son was an infant so she's like wearing her kiddo and we ran into another acquaintance from high school and literally this woman blurts out oh my god like where did you get a baby <laughs> <I'm> like, <laughs> <laughs> wow yeah <laughs> My friend's just like, I made him. <laughs> like, <laughs> but because there was no post about it online, like there's no post about like her relationship. There's no post about like her parenting status, like anything like that. There's nothing that I love that that was that person's instead of like, did you have a child? Anything. It was just like, because there was no online preamble, they were just like, where'd you get the baby from? <laughs> What if that was? What if that became the standardized way of asking about about babies? Like everybody did that. <laughs> oh my god, that would be amazing! Like, oh, where'd you get that one and like, from? And, and you corrected people socially as they say, "Oh, so I, I hadn't heard that 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 actually you'd had the baby." Like, no, no. The, the polite way to ask is, "Where did you get the baby?" <laughs> <laughs> I'm very into this idea. You have to say like, it please, conspiratorially. Please. So, yeah. Where'd you get so, the baby? Oh, oh, so your son is two now. He's two already. No, no, please. <laughs> the, the right <laughs> way to ask him, where'd you get that kid? <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. I'm going to have to tell her this. This is this is fabulous. Um, oh, this makes me so happy. Because, yeah, like, like her kid's not online either. And I, I think that that's a good thing. Like, I... I personally don't have children, but like, I, I don't even like post like I'll I'll post something cute that like her kid said or like my nieces will say, but I won't like post photos of them, and I don't like like I I kind of feel like I'm like no that's 
that's their agency. If they want to be online at some point, like when they're old enough to be online, they can choose to be online. But yeah, when they like, find out how great it is, right? <laughs> well, the real joys and pleasures that we've built in this amazing ecosystem of communication and support. Oh my God. I was yes. just like, I, you can't see my face, but it just, it was the face of spiral. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, during uh, like during the height of like COVID times in California, like both of my nieces were in school online and it was really fascinating that one of them really took to it and really likes it. And she likes being on the phone. She likes FaceTiming me. She'll like send me photos, videos, all sorts of stuff. And my other niece has flat out said, she's like, I don't enjoy it. Like she didn't like being in school online. She is old enough now that it's like her parents offered to get her a phone and she said, no, thank you. Like, she's like, I don't want it. That's like too much responsibility and I don't like being on it. And so it's really interesting to me seeing kids like now that they have the option, if you give it to them, of being online or not. <laughs> like, And some of them are like, no, thanks. Not my jam. Yeah, I suspect that most kids of generations after, I mean, I'm older than you, I suspect, but but but, uh, but I think the, the kids who are coming up now are going to find what we think of as online considerably less appealing than we found it. Uh, you yes. know, I, I they'll, they'll be gaming. I think they like to play games, but I think, uh, yes. I think social media isn't that attractive to them. Uh, I think you had to sort of get nailed by social media early when it was so novel, you know. Yeah. Uh, to, to get the dopamine addiction. I think they get their dopamine elsewhere, I think. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, the things that like my niece wants to send me, she doesn't want to send them to like a general audience. It's like, she wants to send them to me because she wants to see like my personal reaction. Yeah. And so that, yeah. that I find really interesting. That's a different use of then like, like you said, like the dopamine hit of like the attention, like the abstraction of attention almost, as opposed to like the connection directly with someone. Like she likes to send fun stuff. Like, I'll be on the phone with her and she'll send stuff from like, like it's all on like my sister's phone. So it's like, and it's really cute before she sends a photo. She's always like, mom, can I send a photo to Aunt Pam? Like while she's on the phone with me. (laughs) (laughs) And it's because she wants to hear like my reaction while I'm on the phone with her. Um, It's very cute, but it's like, it's a bid for connection that I'm like, oh, that's a very genuine bid for connection. It's not just like, I want to send this into the ether. Like, I don't think she even really knows like what, different social media things are like she doesn't engage with them and so like for her like using the phone for that is like for her own amusement to see like funny things she's done or getting a reaction from someone that she knows and loves so it's like she's like oh i'm all about that (laughs) no i think that's so great i mean it is one of those things where you you you, as a as a grown-up user of of social media think well we're we're all all really doing a terrible thing here you look at the way the adults look at it or the kids look at it rather and, and go Oh, they seem to have a somewhat healthier view of it. Hopefully they don't, you know, go rotten and start being terrible like the rest of us. (laughs) (laughs) It's just like you hear that fellow kids. I feel like the Steve Buscemi meme. Hello, fellow children. (laughs) (laughs) No, I'm of the transitional generation that is awkwardly wedged between uh, Gen X and the millennials. I think they call us like the Oregon Trail generation. I oh, huh. <laughs> I know what game that's referencing, but I don't know why it's the why it would be the uh, why why it would be the touch point. We were we were the ones that like have like kind of like a digital analog childhood. I think it's like eighty through eighty five is considered this like almost like weird 
portion of millennials that are like technically we're millennials but, but we're sort of gen xy because we had both it's like in our childhood we had both like of those things and so we were almost like the test case yeah and so like i have memories both of like i'm not sure losing... i buy generations generally speaking i know everybody's very addicted to them right now but i'm not really sure uh that in the age of of widely available visual media that generations are actually meaningful in a, in a sense of shared experience right yes because like, that's what a generation is supposed to be about is like to say well look like i would say actually everybody who's alive right now is of a pandemic generation right yes um, when a pandemic hits it it is an opportunity for unity obviously as americans we couldn't have any of that right we got to have individual self-expression garbage right, right? but uh, but uh but but it's still the case that we all got hit by the same wave right yes um but I don't think other generational, you know, Z, whatever, uh, I think I think generations are, are tethered by meaningful historical shared experiences, which have to be large, mm. right? Um, and I think when people start talking about the baby boomers, I mean, yeah, you can track some of their consumer behavior uh, in ways that are interesting, but I'm, I'm not sure actually how meaningful a, uh, a grouping it is. Um, you know, I mean, at the same time, I, like everyone else, wish to preserve a general contempt, contempt of boomerism and like to point at them. Point at the decisions that they've made that have spawned the future for, quote, the rest of us. Right. But right. but uh, but I think the thing is, because things aren't going to get better, uh, the present generation will eventually be getting the boomer finger. Right. <laughs> right. So it's like, you know, it's uh, everybody's going to make make the same collective failures, just uh, just just with different uh, variables. Maybe I don't know, but uh, but but yeah, I've always wondered how how much use generational thinking is. I mean, everybody wants to be able to tag themselves with some tribal identity. I think you know. Uh, yeah. But I'm not really sure how how uh, how strong the binding really is. Well, given what you just it's said, that it's different across socioeconomic and uh, yes. racial and gender point, you know, one one person's millennial experience is another person's very different millennial experience, depending on where they're from and who they are. You know, yeah, like the things that came to mind were like the intersectionality of generations. That exactly like you said, that it's like my experience of being in that little micro blorp is very different than someone else based on the intersectional factors that you just said. Um, and so it's like, there's that to take into account. And also what sprang to mind was like, you said that it's like, instead of by almost like, I don't think historicity is a word, but I'm going to make it a word. It now. is. Historicity is in fact a word. Yes. Excellent. Um, I feel powerful. Uh, but like <laughs> it's the unification by. Yes. Occasionally I'll say things and I'm just like, that's not a word. And then when it actually is a word, I'm just like, oh, did I summon that into existence? Oh, that's fantastic. Uh, <laughs> like, things I can never actually commit to doing that I like, uh, that, that I like to think about, which is similar to when we're going to correct people about how to say that they had a baby, um, uh, is correcting pronunciation the wrong way. <laughs> historicity. And I say, oh, yeah, it's totally a word, but it's pronounced historicity. <laughs> That that happened I, I, to. I, I, like, I like the idea of doing that. I, I like, like I don't want to do it myself, but I want there to be a guy who does that. Oh, there <laughs> there is. I'll never forget my my poor twelfth grade English teacher, wonderful woman from Australia, whose name I'm blanking on, but she had a bit of an accent, and apparently when she moved to America, 
Someone told her that it was in fact called a pomegranate. And she believed oh, wow, that for years. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. That's I don't good. remember. I, I'm, I'm, I'm See, that makes <laughs> me wonder because I knew pomegranates are Greek. And so the actual pronunciation was probably not anything like that. Or they're not right. Greek necessarily. Greeks knew what they were. Um, uh, what is, it's probably just going to be some different word. Um, uh, what was it called in Greek? I don't know. See, it's Greek origins and myths are where it's from. I used right. to have discussions about it in my uh, uh, in classes because I think they're generally considered uterine uh, metaphors, and I struggle yes. understanding that. Uh, well, because yes. they seem testicular to me, right? They uh, and I, I said as much as like it's a round thing full of seeds, right? So, uh, but they're, that's not how they generally code in Greek myth. Yeah, well, um, it's a homologous structure to the ovaries. And so it's like, yes. I could totally see both of those. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, the thing is, you know, physically, uh, we differentiate at some point early on. But, you know, all, all those structures originate in some weird looking uh, biome that we don't have a name for. <laughs> or yes. In a, in a, in a, you know, I was so. going to say one one goes inward and the other goes outward. And also like the right, ovum. I just thought about it. I was like, maybe they're connected because like, I mean, all the ovum are already like even in an embryonic form, like all of the cells are already there for all of the eggs that are already in the in the ovum, whereas like sperm produce sperm cells. And so if you cut open a pomegranate, all the seeds so are in Greek, there. In Greek, pomegranate is, is rodi, right? Oh. Rodi, right? But in English, it's pronounced pomegranate, actually. <laughs> <laughs> I, was really hoping, I was really hoping to sell you on that one. I was really hoping if I got the right tone of voice, you'd go, wait, what? <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> I mean, there is there is a certain magic to uh, one thing in cultish as they were talking about that a specific, like we associate certain, uh, in Western culture, certain voices with authority, namely that of typically white men with either a neutral American or an RP accent. And so you can say <laughs> a lot of things with those, those specific uh, tones of voice. Um, and people will be like, oh, yeah, yeah, totally. Uh, I would be surprised like, if that was supposed to be true globally, though. I would be very surprised if it wasn't globally the case that when someone speaks as if they had authority, uh, I mean, especially men, I would say, in a, in a patriarchal world. But, uh, but, uh, but I think, I think really, I mean, this is, what, this is what con men know, right? Is that like if yeah. I come in and I go, oh, I, 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 if they didn't tell you, you owe me $20. You're supposed to pay me $20 for that space. If you say that with authority, you're going to get 20 bucks half the time. Right. It's like, yes. uh, I'm, I'm so not that guy. I can't, I, I, I can fake it and joke about it in a really funny way, but in a real situation, I absolutely cannot assert something that I'm not confident is true. You know, uh, uh, I, that's I actually know. probably so I don't actually a good this, thing. It means that you probably <laughs> aren't a sociopath. <laughs> like, Maybe, but like... then my manner of doing it would just be the next level of sociopathy. If you say, instead of saying with authority, just routinely be demanding stuff on the grounds that you suspect it's true, but you're not sure. Isn't that how Columbo gets people to confess? I'm not really sure, but it seems to me like if you had been here last night at midnight, there'd be some trace of you. And that's how he gets you to say, Oh no, I was over here. Right? So <laughs> I was just like, maybe you'd just be chaotic neutral. <laughs> like... Yeah, that's probably about right. <laughs> <laughs> and I was thinking about how far empathy can stretch within a group of people. Like you had said, like we all went through this cataclysmic event, and we're still actually in the midst of this cataclysmic event. Yes. Um, it just is varying frequencies of cataclysm 
Um, well, the, the, when if a tidal wave hits your village and then the water never recedes, still the moment of the wave hitting is going to be what the trauma was, right? Right. Um, the, the rest of it is 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 adjustment, right? Uh, and that's what's right. going on now. But I think the the shock of of everything shutting down. Uh, and of and of learning to fear disease in a way that people had most people hadn't I would say for yeah. people of my generation who hung out in certain types of spaces there was an incredibly triggering moment to the beginning of it because like I remember when all my friends started dying of AIDS uh, yeah and uh, and when I was working in a six bed house and I would come in on the weekend and three of them would be gone forever wow. right and uh uh, and that was it was very intense to be going, oh, well, uh, suddenly everybody's talking about a disease we hadn't heard of last week. I remember this, you know, um, oh. and, uh, it was very intense for a lot of people my age. Um, yeah. But uh, but but I do think, you know, yeah, the, the, the disaster is ongoing. But the uh, but the cataclysm sort of uh, we are in adjustment phase, you know. Yeah. Yeah. And that even what you just said, that it's like it it was a different experience for you than necessarily for someone else. And that in a way, like if we're bonding yes. on basis of historical event, even sometimes seeing that historical event through a different prism is going to affect how you bond with other people. And like you said, even like American individualism, like then affected how we ended up like bonding or not. And I think about, um, it's actually really funny. What one of my clients and they have, allowed me to disclose this so I'm not breaking confidentiality uh, they were on a business trip that was supposed to be for taking a few months contract in China um, in 2019 in late 2019 early 2020 um, and so we were performing zoom therapy um, half my practice at the time was online anyway so I was like okay cool um, and so I kind of ended up getting like a sneak preview. And I remember there was this one session, it was like in February, where I remember like looking at them on the screen and I was like, this is going to be really bad. And they were like, this is going to be really bad. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> and we were both just like, oh, oh, no, because they were in they were in Beijing at the time. Um, and it was one of those things where I talked to my friends being like, OK, so here's the information I know from elsewhere like it actually makes sense if we kind of have like a team um and so we did we we formed our little quarantine pod and what was really bizarre about this and will never not make me laugh is that on april 1st of 2020 i was on the front page of my hometown newspaper of the la times because i have friends like literally the entire article was just marveling at the fact that four people who did not have a romantic or sexual entanglement were in fact taking care of one another during a crisis. Like that was the thesis of the article was like, what are these people doing? Yeah. And I did think it was really funny. There was like on Reddit, people were like totally talking about us. And someone just said, there is no heterosexual explanation for this. And I was like, so you're not wrong, but that's also really funny. Um, like, <laughs> I, was, I was like what is going on though in our society that it is front page newsworthy that in a horrifying crisis people are taking care of each other I'm like that to me is very indicative of something <laughs> um, say, say, say that again 
like that in a crisis, it's newsworthy that people were taking care of one another, even mm. when there was no like legal obligation, familial obligation, romantic or sexual, which are usually the connections that are um, like vaunted in our society. Same with like the heteronormativity of like, wait, they're not in like relation to each other in these specific ways um, that I was just like, that's fascinating to me that that's news. Yeah, I mean, I would say actually, and I'm not one to be over over interrogating, you know, the the ideology of what gets called news, but I would think newsrooms are doing that in the hopes that it, you know, in the hopes that it makes other people think that's what we're doing now. You know what I mean? It's uh-huh. like uh, especially in an economy like ours, it's like it's good if people hear stories like that. Then maybe yeah. they remember to do that kind of stuff. <laughs> it's yes! like uh, <laughs> You know, like if I if you lived in a in a in a, in a place where you know I, I had a, my my finger on what stories to tell, I'd, I'd get those stories out there, make people think. Maybe it's abnormal to not be doing that. You know, maybe it's yeah. maybe I'm weird if I don't do that. <laughs> like it's like I think there's a, just a value in that because because the stories that that do get you know that get most of the attention are the stories of individual success, right? Yeah. And those are not great stories to be foregrounding. It turns out those are those are stories people want to hear because they like to imagine. Yeah. You know, for whatever reason, that that to hoist themselves up by their bootstraps and and you know and rise to the top of the heap uh, would feel great. But but you know, but the 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 stories you want to hear in the news would are be the ones that make people, you know, you know, that are a combination of the ones that people need to know. But the human interest stories should almost entirely be the ones that help people behave better. You know. Oh, I really like that perspective. I was just like, oh. That actually makes me feel really happy that like maybe in some small part we, we played a role in people like, you know, actually helping each other through this and being like, wait a second. We can help people. <laughs> like, hold on. <laughs> oh, my God. Speaking of helping people, I feel terrible. I was just like, I actually need to end the call because I just realized I am late to uh, the appointment where I am the helper of someone. Well, this has been an absolute delight. I really appreciate you taking the time to talk to me. My pleasure. I will talk to you soon. Thank you again for listening to this episode of Why Not Both? If you liked what you heard, please make sure to like us and subscribe to us on your preferred podcast platform. You can also come hang out with us on social media. We are at WNB the podcast, both on Instagram and on Twitter. This season, we are brought to you by Under the Radar magazine. Under the Radar is a nationally distributed print, music, and entertainment magazine and website. You can find them at www.undertheradarmag.com and feel free to support them on Patreon. Extra special thanks to our producer, Laura Studeris, who is literally a rock star. Thanks again, and I look forward to seeing you next episode. Oh, <laughs>